Thanks for being here, everybody. This is another uh, podcast with success training, and we're going to do part three, which is students with special abilities and challenges. And this is a guide for parents who want their kids to excel. So we're going to go over a lot of things. And it's a guide for parents, but this is a little special topic today. Let's first introduce uh, our guest today, as always, is Senior Master Laura Sanborn. Doesn't have senior master on her uh, on her screen there, but she is a senior master. And Mr. Dwayne Fleece, future master, senior master Sanborn is a seventh degree black belt and uh, and a chief instructor of our Cave Creek School. And Mr. Dwayne Fleece is a is a chief instructor of the uh, school in Michigan. So thanks a lot for being here, guys. Yes, sir. Thanks Thank for you, having. Thank you, sir. All right, so I appreciate you guys being here. And uh, I'm Chief Master Greg Moody. And that, that's uh, this is what we're going to cover today. We've covered two parts of this already, is kids with physical challenges and kids with cognitive challenges. And for parents, uh, it's not. this isn't really for parents. This is for maybe adult students or parents that might deal with maybe their spouse, maybe themselves. Maybe they've got an, uh, uh, somebody that's an adult by age, but they may have a cognitive challenge that puts them in a situation that they're an adult, but they they may be uh, still caring for somebody who's uh, of adult age. So we'll talk about all the things to do with special abilities and challenges uh, regarding adults. Next time, we're going to talk about temporary, temporary challenges, which may be injuries or other things that happen in the short term so that uh, people can still have success in martial arts and the rest of their life. So that's what we're about here is having success in martial arts and in the rest of our life. So let's talk about this first and what we're gonna do today. So first thing is we'll talk about physical disabilities. So physical disabilities regarding adults. Um, how would we work with people with physical disabilities and and make it so that they can still be very successful? doing uh doing something like martial arts or whatever whatever really they want to do in their life and one of the things is that we have to deal with is mobility so how do we deal with mobility and this could be somebody in a wheelchair or uh somebody that may not maybe they fit, don't physically have legs or arms or they may have not have one arm or one one leg. They could have been born that way or they could have uh, had an accident. So what other things about mobility? Uh, what are other examples of mobility? Anybody have any examples I'm missing there? Well, there's an infinite number of them, but. Age. Yeah, it could be somebody uh, with a physical disability. That's a good point that has uh, an age issue where they uh, they're just old and it's hard for them to get around. Um, and what are some ways that you guys have that we accommodate mobility or that people can accommodate mobility and still be successful and have um, have uh, good results? Well, one of the first things is in the interview when we first talk to them and they come in, they're like, well, I really can't do this because my back is out or I've got knee problems or I've got that. Um, first is letting them know they can be successful in martial arts with any type of disability. It starts with just letting them know. And then especially with adults, they can just move to an exercise that they can do. If they know for a fact that I can't do sit-ups, I can't bend my back that way, then you can do squats. You don't have to interrupt the class, make a big announcement so everybody turns and looks at you. Um, you just start doing an exercise that you can do to keep mobile and not have to make a big deal of it. 
so that the that's one thing we're going to talk about next. I'll go ahead and write it down is inclusivity. So if there's a if there's a, uh, a a restriction that somebody has, we work around the restriction. We don't point out the restriction. We work around and give them a different activity to do. Maybe they don't have legs, so they were don't or don't have access to their legs or don't have use of their legs. And this is we're, in our in our work today. It's going to be if somebody has a permanent situation there, then we come up with a different activity for them to do, a different way for them to still develop. If there's a mobility. Um, what if they can't move to a certain point part of the class? What, what are you guys experience that you do? A lot of times we just let them go around, um, like move around the mat at their own pace. Everyone can pass them and everybody understands that they're, that's part of their workout is actually uh, following the class around. Or they might just um, uh, stay in place and turn different directions. So one is work with within their own pace, work within their limits. Mm -hmm. Those are a couple big things. Uh, what other kind of things would be important in terms um, of? A lot of times we work on challenging them a little bit too, because they may think they can't do something, but they haven't been trying to do it either. They've just hit that point of my knee hurts all the time, so I can't do it, or I, I don't even try to do that because. And so we challenge them a little bit to push that, not in a way that's going to injure them, but in a way that might help them get better at mobility or increase their mobility and their circulation and everything so that they can get better and do more than they ever thought they could. Yeah, and that, I think that's true of, of students that don't have any physical challenges or don't have any cognitive challenges. We try to push everybody to whatever the next step is that they can be and the next step. And all, all three of us have experienced that in doing doing martial arts. Um, that applies to people with challenges. We want to push them, push them, push them, push them, push them so that it's hard, but not so hard they can't do it. Hard, but not yes, too sir. hard. That'd be our, that's kind of our definition of challenging. Make it hard, but not so hard they don't they can't accomplish it. It may be harder than they think they can do, but not hard so hard they can't do. Yes. And then our student that we have um, for his entire life, everybody has done so much for him. He doesn't even have to ask. He just expects people to do things for him. And then here at the academy, that's changed. He's accountable for himself to, to the best of his ability. Um, so we don't allow him to say, well, I can't do that. We're like, no, you just need to find a way to make it happen. So they so can still, still having high standards right. for the students that are, does, they have a challenge. We're going to work with that challenge and, and, but still hold them accountable for what, what happens. That's fantastic. Really good point, sir. So one is mobility. The other point that I, that I had written down was inclusivity. So that even though they're they're maybe different than the the typical kids that we have or typical adults in this case typical adults we'd still include them in the class and they'd still be interacting with other people how do we how do you guys see that happening if uh somebody with with no challenges is working with somebody that may have a challenge maybe they don't have uh, I know we have uh, one of our black belts and our instructors has some restrictions with their hand and they can't uh, they can't use their hand the same way. It, it's it's uh, got a got a, a disability with their hand that's not fully formed. They're always going to have that, but they're working with somebody that's doesn't have any of those issues. How do they work together? It goes under the challenging thing is 
as much as anything else. They're still going to work with a partner. The partner is not going to baby them um, or take their level of training down to um, we're not making it easier on them. And, and we're not expecting our other adults to do that as well. Treat them like another adult. You talk to them the same. You don't go, oh, well, is this okay? Can we do this? Can you do this? Are you sure you can do this? We don't have that conversation in class. It's this is the drill. This is what we're working on. Go. And then the instructor goes around and might tweak something, but not you treat them like another adult. You don't treat them as if they're incapable of something just because they have a difference. So I'm hearing a couple of things. I'm hearing a couple of things in what you said, senior master is one is showing both people are showing respect towards each other, that they're going to respect them, that they can, they can do the activity within the limits that they have. And that they, yes. that the person in both cases, both people are taking personal responsibility For I'm taking responsibility if I have a challenge for making sure I communicate to the other person and they're taking responsibility for checking if they need to, whatever limit they have, but also challenging me and not being timid about uh, about, uh, you know, being too soft so that then that therefore I don't get a workout. If I've got a problem with my my body. I want to make sure that I still challenge myself. And if my partner isn't going to, is going to be afraid of me, then because I have a challenge, then I'm not going to get good, good movement and good development. Is, are those two yes. things respect and yes. personal responsibility that we'd want to have? Okay. Yes. And the respect is so crucial. Okay, cool. Those are key points. I love that. I'm, I'm, we're trying to co uh, codify those into a couple of pieces. Anything else to add there in terms of inclusivity and keeping them in class? I know, uh, Mr. Fleas, one student I, I got, I love teaching of yours is uh, DJ Ashlock. I hope we, it's okay to mention her. And she has a, a she has a, a dog in class that's one of the, a service animal that mm -hmm. she keeps with her. To, yes, sir. And, and how do you, how would you talk about her in terms of inclusivity? Well, first, Right. So first thing we did was let the let her uh, her dog Nick find his place on the mat. So so if he found his place on the mat and that where he that's where he goes every single time. He never deviates from that and he just lays down and he waits. Miss um, Ashlock, if something changes in her body that he senses, uh, then he'll stand up and then he'll alert <clears throat> he'll alert that. Um, she needs to do something. And sometimes she wants to ignore it because she wants to stay in class and keep working out because she's um, pushes herself really hard. But then we have to tell her, no, go do what you have to do right now. So then once she does whatever she needs to do, whether it's, it could be as simple as just taking a break and getting some water um, because her, her, her body got out of, out of whack with something and and then he, they're fine. Then she can get back up and get in class and get back at it. But we we watch Nick, the service dog, almost more than we watch her to see what's what we need to do to help her out. And some things we do have to adjust for her, um, it, like the exercises and whatnot, just because of the the restrictions that she has. 
um, and she's always, they're always changing for her. So we just adjust as needed so she can continue on. And she feels really successful that way. So this is a person who has a service animal that kind of monitors her physical health and, and alerts both the instructor and her if there's something that needs to change. So there's an adaptation. We normally would never have a, a dog allowed even in the facility or on the least of all on the on the mat. But yet this is a case where because of the situation, the service animals allowed on there, and this could be in a variety of situations that might happen, but it'd be a conversation where we have instructor awareness. So I, I wrote that down in terms of inclusivity. There's an adaptation. Uh, it's not where the instructor has a hard and fast rule. We're going to be flexible enough that we have a certain situation that that's going to be okay. And other people need to learn the rules apply. We have firm, solid, strong rules in our martial arts school. However, those firm, solid, strong rules are about the big picture of things and are about the big picture of everybody developing. And one of those developments is some people have some specific cases that need adjustments and there's going to be adaptations where needed, but only where needed, not in other situations. So maybe that's a good rule. Adaptations where needed, but only where needed. Yeah. Is that, yes. and I think that covers kind of what, uh, what, uh, what uh, we talked about. The, the other thing that I was thinking about is, as we were talking about physical disabilities, is that is that the skills that we teach are still going to be real world skills. Um, I wonder if we could talk about, regardless of somebody having a physical disability, I know the a famous uh, guy, at least in our space, a master there, <laughs> who's uh, became a senior master when I did, he's seventh degree black belt, and he was paralyzed from the waist down in a car wreck when he was, uh, he was a fourth or fifth degree black belt. And so he had to learn how to adapt all of his martial arts to being in a wheelchair. And they were real, he really did real world skills. And I got to train with him when I, when I became a seventh degree black belt, but how we adapt uh, the adaptation isn't just so they can participate. The adaptations would be so that the skills that they learn are still real world. And you guys have some examples of that where for physical, dis if somebody has a physical disability, regardless of age or something that's permanent, uh, that they can, they still do learn real skills, at least as far as their martial arts skills, their physical um, defense skills that are, uh, that are going to be applicable. Absolutely. Um, I've got one who's, he'll never be able to kick much higher than his knee, just ever. And so that's not a requirement for him, but he needs to do that kick with the proper skills, with the proper technique. And he needs to know why even a kick that low is effective. So we, I, I will make the entire class kick that low for a while because it is an effective kick and they, he needs to know it, but so does everybody else need to know it. It's not just that he's kicking low because he can't get his leg up higher. It's that, all right, so we're all kicking low. What's the target there? What's happening if you're kicking that low? Where do you use it? When do you use it? So it's the using his, the example of him to teach everybody else that that is effective, not just mm -hmm. that he knows it, but everybody now knows that it's an effective kick. It's just lower than where we normally kick for board breaks or another or another style in the form or something. Yeah, but he has to make sure that it's to the right target and it would be effective in a real situation. 
right, the proper part of his foot, using the right amount of power, and knowing what the target is when you're kicking that low. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's a good example. Mr. Fleas, what are, I'm sure you've got a few examples, too. Of, um, or I put you on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about one of our teenagers, he has basically he has one good arm that can block his head. So we're constantly getting him to go faster because he's like I said, he, sometimes he uh, just goes slow because he's gotten away with it for his whole life. And people accept it because he's he's challenged in that way. But we're like, no, some bad guys aren't going to bad guys aren't going to take it easy on you just because you're in your cart there. They're going to smack you upside your head and you have to get your arm up there fast enough to block it. So if that's your only good arm, then we have to make that one the strongest. So we're always pushing him to be faster, especially on that side, because it has the biggest range of motion. Mm -hmm. So that that continues to get better and better. That's a that's a great example. That's a good one. Well, so anything else to add for physical disabilities? We could probably go on for hours and hours and hours Gosh. about the things that we do that we do and the examples that we've had of all the students over the years uh, that we've helped with physical disabilities because the beauty of what we do is that it's such an individual activity. Even if you wanted to be in competition, the comp we have competitions where people with physical disabilities can participate um, and cognitive disabilities, which we'll get to in a second. But but it doesn't have to be a, a competitive. This is a, a, a sport and an activity and a way of life that doesn't have to be competitive. Uh, you can you can continue to learn and grow and learn for like me over 30 years and like you guys for decades. Uh, so you can keep doing this forever and grow and grow and grow and grow. And it doesn't matter where you come, where you're coming in at. So that's what's such a great thing about this. And you can have any kind of situation and still continue to grow. And you guys as instructors and all of our instructors are uh, so fantastic at being able to adapt to these different types of situations. That Anything to add about, about these? Uh, so we could talk for hours about the different situations yeah. we've encountered. Anything to add that we maybe missed or, or that we'd want to put in here about physical disabilities in particular? Um. No, it's also finding the skill. I've got one student who he's never going to be able to put his arm all the way out and leave it all the way out. It goes out and it comes right back. There's not the ability to hold it up there. But we've also found that if we convert him to weapons, which he loves doing, he has a wider range of motion and he has a, it's a new challenge for him that, it can replace that inability to do something specific. We find something else that he can do that he never even thought. Nobody even would have considered it because it's just, oh, well, I can't do a kick, so I, or I can't move my hands as much, so I can't do weapons. Well, it challenged him, and he finds that he can do that, and he can do it as well as some of the other people in class that have got no challenges. So that was a super successful um, adapt an adaptation that was really successful for him. That's fantastic. That's a really good example. Um, and and I was going to share uh, as we as we move on from this. I think a lot of things. Well, let, let's use this as one example 
Um, one example here and uh, move on to cognitive disabilities. Unless you had one to share, Mr. Feliz, I didn't want to. No, I was just going to say that um, just the inclusivity is the biggest part. So no matter what we're doing, uh, whether it's a weapon or a cake, find something that they can do at that time, whether it's with a partner or not, um, that they can learn to be successful at so that they can still feel like they're making progress. That, that's exactly right. And, and honestly, as much as we say we're, we're focused on physical disabilities today for our podcast, uh, this applies to all of our students because we all sometimes have challenges. And I believe that's one reason why our instructors are so good at working with any kind of uh, people, any kind of disabilities, or, and honestly, even really high performing people is because we're always challenging and pushing them. So I think that's a, a good point that you're bringing up. Now, if I'm, if I change this to cognitive disabilities, what part of it changes? I wonder about, now cognitive disabilities are, um, what we're specifically talking about here, not mental health conditions specifically, but cognitive disabilities, like somebody's either got an injury or there's something genetic that has happened. So um, could be, now some things are in between genetic and environmental, but um, somebody with, uh, they might be an adult with Down syndrome and there's a wide range of things, uh, could have been a, a car accident, could have hit somebody that could have had a stroke, just met somebody other, uh, one of the instructors I know up in Canada just had a stroke. That's a serious challenge for people. Now they could have some of all these uh, these things that we just talked about. There could be mobility issues. There, uh, all the inclusivity issues that we have uh, could be very similar. So I wonder if you guys would agree that these are all important characteristics for people with adults with cognitive disabilities as well. Would you guys say these are all important things too? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think we uh, as far as this challenging and accountability, uh, if if they have a very serious cognitive disability, we want to challenge them as much as possible and make sure they're accountable. We don't let them off the hook, even though. Uh, and that's one of the best things about what we do, even though some other people may say, well, they're they have a challenge, so we can't push them as hard or we can't expect as much out of them. But a lot of them, a lot of people want to thrive, will thrive, or all people, I think, will thrive if they we expect a lot out of them. And we want them to have personal responsibility and and all these things. So I, I think these all are sort of covered in what we talked about. What other things would you would you guys say we are are different or additional things to cover regarding cognitive? Uh, cognitive disabilities. Let me clear the whole thing out. Well, probably. Um, what, go ahead. You're higher rank. You get to go first. <laughs> um, recognizing and celebrating successes. Um, it's something we do with anybody, but I feel it's particularly important with people with cognitive disabilities, making a big deal of the progress that they're making and that they get recognized for that all the time when they're mm -hmm. making when they're being successful at something that we do recognize it and that the, everybody recognizes it. Yeah, true. So there may be a different level of this um, recognition and celebration than you would do a little bit different than you do for the typical adult student. Yes. Am, I, am, 
a normal student, I might just give them a high five, say great job with somebody with cognitive disabilities. That was fantastic. Take an extra minute on really specifically saying what it, what the success was mm-hmm. and how what they did to get there. You've been practicing a whole lot on that. And I can really see a difference on how well you're doing it. And that was a fantastic thing. Everybody, did you see that sidekick he just did? Making a little bit more of a big deal so it goes in and sinks a little bit deeper into them that they did have a success. Great. There. So in other words, uh, there may be a difference in emotional or um, psychological development. And we need yes. to consider that because the emotional psychological development may be at a different age or a different level. And that might that's a broader way to say that. But I think what you said is exactly right in a general way to to functionally address it uh, because of the difference in psychological development or motivational development. Nothing wrong with that. And that may be a way to keep keep uh, keep things uh, uh, positive and, 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 and be, the, be a good instructor. Um, what else? What else would you guys add that's different from what we covered already? Uh, sometimes I think when you're the instructor and you're used to everyone hearing and moving on command, that sometimes people will need a moment to process what you just said. And that blank look on their face might not be them not paying attention to you. It might just be them processing what you said so they can get it down. Yeah. So there may be some sensory or perceptual Um, skills that they need help with. Uh, One of the things that I was uh, thinking about when we were talking about this was an adult with autism, for example, or an adult with uh, ADHD, it'd be similar to a child where they may be uh, sensitive to loud noises or may not hear, if it's a different type of cognitive disability, may not hear loud noises, or as you said, may not process things at the same speed as other people, may not, may need me to be at a different part of the floor, may need me to be in a different part of the room when certain things go on so they can see us properly. So there may be sensory or perceptual differences. They may need sensory aids, uh, or if we slap a pad together really loud, that might be very shocking to them. So there, there could be some other issues that come up. Um, anything else that reminds you of sensory perception? Um, you might have to find another way to explain something. Yes. Because it might just not be kicking in with the words that you've been using for everybody else, that they're just not understanding your terminology. And you might have to break the terminology down um, just a little bit differently for them. Sometimes the way we use it for the uh, the tiny tigers, the preschool kids, works the same way for the adults that have that cognitive disruption or disability. So right. Right. For the preschool kids, uh, very similar if they're having the same focus. And I think that's another reason why our instructors are so good at working with with adults with disabilities. It's not that they're the same as preschool kids, but we've got a tool set that we can borrow. We can borrow a lot of tools from our experience with younger people. If there's if somebody's having trouble paying attention, we have this tool set. We can grab it from that that group of people and use it in the other group. Um, or use it for that person. So we, that's one reason all of you guys are so great and all of our instructors are so great because we've got such a big toolkit for, for different situations like this. So one would be sensory issues. The other would be um, successes. What else What else do you think is important for cognitive disabilities? Anything else comes to mind? 
Well, one thing I was thinking about is, um, uh, you know, the pacing of the class, making sure the pacing of the class may be too fast or too slow, and they may need some help with memory. Um, and we expect our adults to memorize more, and they may not be able to memorize as much. So there may be some memory differences. And just like if I was uh, working with somebody with a cognitive disability and they were learning Spanish, for them learning half of what the rest of the class learned may be adequate. Now, if they were in high school, that would make be very difficult for a high school teacher to have the uh, person in their in their class because how do I how do I manage somebody learning at half the speed of the rest of the classroom? I it may be very difficult for me to break them into groups and and the teachers teachers are very good at that, but it, there may be some challenges if that speed is not going to be the same. For you guys, you're very good at managing somebody that may not be progressing at the same speed and we may have different target goals for them for doing a certain proportion of the material that we want in, in a certain amount of time. Have you experienced that with somebody with a cognitive disability? Uh, definitely. And part of that is making sure that they and their caregivers and their guardians and anybody else with them is aware of where to find the material to support them. Um, do you know what page of the, of the, of the manual? has what we're working on so you can reinforce it at home so you can help them with that. Do you know where the video is for the video material of what we're working on? Do you know how to access that so that they can, because it may be just in case they need more reps and they need those reps at home on small parts of it. So making sure that they are aware of where to find the resources to be successful in class. Right. And sometimes I think um, not just the videos online to follow, but sometimes a video of themselves performing in class so that they can see what we're actually saying when they think they are doing a, a technique or part of it the way we're saying. And they're like, I I am. And we're like, no, look, are you? And they're like, oh, no, I, I guess I'm not. So when and that, again, applies to any student of any age. Yeah. really. <laughs> But sometimes that's helpful for them to actually see um, where they're at and at that technique. Right. So some support resources help. And then working with parents or other caregivers, if it's a very severe cognitive disability, if it's a minor cognitive disability, like, you know, maybe somebody has, is there themselves and they have a stroke and they're working on their own, they, they wouldn't have another person helping them. So then helping them with the support. Right. Yes. Maybe, maybe they don't necessarily have to do the same amount of material as somebody else, but they repeat it more. They may have to do more repetitions and they may have to uh, do more to keep, keep things, uh, keep things moving. Anything else with cognitive disabilities that uh, we could probably again, go on and on and on. And there's so many different ones that they would require different adaptations, but we've already covered that somewhat in our physical disability section. Anything else you want to add specifically for uh, for this area? Um, again, um, they are required to make progress. It's, mm -hmm. And it's the expectation that they will make progress and get better at what we do um, and not letting them off the hook with that. 
So, yeah, so just because there's a challenge doesn't mean we aren't expecting them to move forward and make progress and get get better. Because if they don't get better, they won't be proud of themselves. They won't see achievement. They won't be, see success and they won't feel good about what they did. Correct. Awesome. Okay, well, great. Now, the last one for adults with disabilities, it's not really a disability, but it's it's something that we may have happen in, and it happens pretty frequently is mental health conditions. Um, and as a, because I'm a licensed psychotherapist, I can talk about this from a little bit different perspective, but you guys end up dealing um, with people that have different things that are going on in their life. Now we're not in our school. A lot of times we get people asking us about all kinds of things. When we're talking about kids, parents will ask us to help their kids with all many, many different problems, whether it's their uh, attention issues or they're getting bullied at school, or they've got ADHD, they've got autism, they've got some other uh, mental health issue, a cognitive disability or problem. And adults do the same thing. They they come to us and ask us about, uh, you know, they've been training with us a while and they've got problems at home or they've got other things happening. We're not professionals in those fields. We want to, we do a really good job of referring people out and referring people for the proper help so that we can be supportive in different ways. So there's a few things that I wanted to mention though, when people, why, how we help with things like depression and stress and uh, and other things where uh, the last statistics for mental health conditions are that the National Institute of Mental Health said that 26.2% of the population, the adult population, could be diagnosed with a mental health disorder. That means one in four. That's very high. So we, and you and everybody listening, has people that are are having some challenges on a day-to-day -day basis. That's beside the other things that we already talked about. So, so one of the things that, that other than us referring people and how do we provide <coughs> um, for uh, helping people with how their mood is and how their stress is, let's talk about stress. How do we help people with stress in, in the martial arts school? Not specifically something that's wrong, mentally but with stress well, what are some ways that we help with that i think just the physical activity for one just working out hard and focusing on something else other than whatever was causing you stress before you came in um, if it's hard and it's difficult for you and your muscles are are straining you're not going to think about that which you left outside the door I think you said something really important there, Mr. Fleas. Um, it's physical activity we know helps with stress. And you go to the doctor a lot of times and they tell you, get less stress. Or you're having problems with your blood pressure. Get less stress. You're having problems with your weight. Get less stress. And it's like, you want to tell the doctor, yeah, right. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Uh, not have a job? Or what am I supposed to do? Uh, you know, not drive in traffic every day. I mean, I have to get to work. What am I supposed to do? Not, I mean, you know, that. thanks a lot, doc. How, what's your prescription for that? Um, and sometimes they give you a pill for that, but then it doesn't really change the amount of stuff you have to go through every uh, every day. So 
physical activity, we know reduces stress, but the focus on something else, when, when, if you go to the gym and you do aerobics or you go to the gym and you lift weights, you can still be thinking about your problems. Right. Right. You can still be thinking about work or at home or the traffic or whatever the problem was. But if you go to your martial arts class, you're learning stuff at the same time. So you're doing physical activity plus you're learning stuff. And there's a focus on some next level of achievement, whether it's the skill you're learning in class or the, you, you know, wanting to get to your next rank or whatever the thing is. So the focus on something else, those two things together, I think are a big difference in the stress relief you have doing what we do versus doing something else that doesn't necessarily have the physical plus the mental, or it has the mental, you could meditate, but why do you still, it's hard to meditate and not worry about stuff because you're not physically doing stuff at the same time. So because those two things are together, it helps with stress a lot, I think. Um, so stress management is is the other piece. The other, the other thing I think, anything else to add there, guys, before I move on? Um, I was thinking how we don't stand around in class and gossip. There's not time to bring up your problems in class mm -hmm. so it doesn't become part of the class that everybody hears it and you're talking to somebody about it and it's uh, there's there just isn't time for that and we don't make time for that during class that people can just stand there and talk to each other or they should be doing something and moving on to the next thing and whatever we're working on these the instructors have the pace of the class and there's a planner so we're doing this and we're doing this and we're doing this. We're not stopping to, all right, everybody sit down and just like, you know, you can talk with your partner and talk to them and stuff like that. Just keep moving. Do the next thing. You're going on with this stuff. Yeah, that's it. I, I think that's a major uh, point that you're making is the structure mm -hmm. of the culture isn't for people to lounge around afterwards. Uh, there's not a lounging around and chatting about, whatever, whether that's politics or whether that's um, the day that you had or you're mad about somebody or whatever that is. That's not the culture that we have, partly because the structure of what you're learning, but somebody could be liberal and somebody could be conservative and they come into the school and they work out and they, they train and they do stuff and they learn some stuff and then they leave and they could go out later if they wanted to and be friends or they don't have to. It doesn't make any difference. But the structure of the culture isn't so that you absolutely could be very nice to each other and friendly and friends even. But you wouldn't have to have any kind of interaction at the school that that deals with that. And I, I think that's a good point. It's, so it becomes a safety. Uh, it becomes a very safe environment. You know, in, ironically... I think the worry some people have is if I go do martial arts, it would be unsafe. It'd be like the bad karate kid <laughs> environment. And it's in fact, because of these things we just mentioned, exactly the opposite. It's you go there and then everybody's really concerned about safety. Everybody's really concerned about the environment being supportive. And I think that I'm going to, I was going to write that um, supportive environment. And the supportive environment thing is important because contrary to what people that might be outside of martial arts or haven't worked with us before, and, and honestly, even some styles or schools, 
it's not about you coming in, learning to go fight in a tournament. It's not about you coming in, learning to go, I don't know, have, have a bar fight or something. It's about you, <clears throat> excuse me, coming in and learning to get better yourself. We have tournaments, but not a low percentage of our students go to those. And it's only if you wanted to, uh, it's not really a big part of what the purpose of what we do is so it's about us being supporting uh, us supporting each other so you could be working with somebody a lot bigger than you a lot smaller than you and everybody is still trying to make each other better whether that's a student or the instructor um, maybe you guys could say a little bit more about that uh, the respect that we would require everybody to show everybody mm -hmm. um, using last names saying yes sir and yes ma'am to each other as well as to the instructors when mm -hmm. somebody is in charge of something. Um, the introduce yourself when somebody comes in for their first class. So they're not standing there. I don't know what to do next. I make sure, especially with the adults, that I take a new student over and say, this is their first class. Introduce yourself, say hello, but not having big conversations with them, but do say hello, welcome to our class. And then, and class starts. So again, it's part of the inclusivity, but the inclusivity with the element of respect that comes with martial arts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, the structure and the, the, the way everything is built and the way we talk and the way we act and the way we have just built everything. When you walk in the front door, you, you, uh, you say whatever our life skill is as you walk in and that's, and you bow because you know that the, the environment changes. It's a signal. It's a psychological signal that the environment changes so that you know, hey, this is different. I walked in here. It's different. Uh, I'm going to act different. Uh, people do that in a lot of different ways. I mean, you, act, you go to a, a sporting event, you're wearing the T-shirt of the team, and you're uh, going to be starting cheering for the team and sort of act crazy. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that that's a you you go into the arena, you know you're going to act different. You go into our our school, you do something to trigger yourself to act different, and then everybody acts really supportive and and positive to each other. In contrast to what you see in the movies and the images that you get of of martial arts, it's very different. Um, other things that related to mental mental health. One is stress. One's a supportive environment. Anything else related to uh, improving people's mental health that you feel like are, are, uh, that are things that you wanted to mention? I think uh, sometimes not only is it our own students that we're benefiting, or that are benefiting from reduced stress in a supportive environment, but the parents as well of, of the students. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the instructors being supportive of the parent, backing the parents up, helping them with different different issues that may come up so, so that they can reinforce that at home with the child, or we can reinforce it with, with this the student as well. So they kind of we kind of have, have a, a team, a team working with the individual so that it's easier for the parents to get the message through. Um, yeah, well, so if I could say that another way, since this is about adult uh, students, uh, if you're many of our adult students are also parents of our kids. So if they're stressed about the environment because their kids are not behaving, then they're having may have another challenge. 
Whereas if we're helping them with their kids and they're also training here, then that that helps them in a lot of other ways because it it's a it's an overall environment that's going to help them be better. And I mean, both of your kids and my kid, all three of our kids have done martial arts and become black belts. So uh, that's that's something obviously we buy into, not just from the point of view of being instructors, but but it's helped us be better because our kids got the support. We're kind of products of the the product that that we started with here. Cool. Um, anything else to add on on any of these topics before we wrap up here today? I don't have anything else. Okay. Thank All right. You. Well, yeah. so this is thank well, thank you guys very much for being here. And uh, I'll clear the screen. There's a lot that we do for adults with uh, physical challenges with cognitive challenges and then also with mental health conditions and helping them with their stress and what they do day to day. And even if people don't have any mental health challenges, which uh, we still have stresses and other things in our life, even if it's not diagnosed as a mental health challenge, and it, it isn't then, it's just normal stress. Being, uh, being in the school and all the structures that we have to help everybody help literally everybody to help people without those kind of challenges as well so our instructors get to draw from this large range of tools that we have from all the different types of students that we've taught and worked with over the years and that's what makes it really special in our school to when we work with our adults with with any kind of challenges next time we're going to talk about temporary challenges and what to do or what we do and how you as a student or a parent can help whether it's your work with kids and adults and how to help them be successful, even during maybe a short, medium, or maybe uh, even a little bit of a long-term challenge, so that they can still be successful during that time. Uh, we worked through a lot of different ones over the years, so we can kind of cover everything when we get to that. So thanks very much, everybody, and I appreciate you guys being here. Uh, Senior Master Sanborn, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. And Mr. Fleas, thank you very much, especially for being out here a little bit later in the East Coast time zone. Yes, sir. Uh, my pleasure. Okay. Thanks a lot, everybody. Okay.